speaks to us. And, and so, and then I'm going to pray for it. Then we're going to, um, and then we're going to worship again. Um, and so after I finish the reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And we're all going to say together, thanks be to God. Um, and so this morning's reading is Psalm 84. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, as they go through the valley of Baca and make a place of springs, the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm just going to pray before Alan comes up. And um, Father, we thank you for the richness of your word. Um, and Father, I pray for Alan as he comes to speak to us. Would it just be your voice from your word teaching us and strengthening us in you? And I pray that, yeah, we would just see you and see your heart for us today and how beautiful it is to be with you. Amen. Thanks, Caitlin. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. There's some sweets sitting up here. I don't know. That's okay. If I'm hungry during this, I can have some of them. Um, we treat. Um, no, don't worry. I'll just sit on the side here. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Alan. Um, I'm one of the pastors uh, in Village East in our church over in uh, East Belfast. It's always good to come over to South, though. Um, I was thinking about the last time I was here. Uh, it was actually back in December, which is hard to believe that it's December and, and we're now in July, but um, I either got COVID when I was here or I had COVID when I was here, I don't know, um, but uh, hopefully uh, I don't get anything this time or I don't give anything this time. Um, I'll not blame you guys, don't hold it against you if it was you gave it to me, but um, it's good to be back um, and it's, um, it is always a joy, it really is, I do mean that, it's always a joy to come back over to South here to see you guys, to see familiar faces, to praise God with you, um, and just to catch up with people. It's always encouraging to see new faces as well. Um, I want to ask you this morning, as we get going, what do you really long for this morning? What do you really want right now? A holiday? A break from work, maybe? For weather that's more like summer, I know we're maybe getting that this week or so they say. If you're a, a parent, maybe, a parent of young children, maybe what you long for is a good night's sleep. Or if you're a parent of, of older children, uh, maybe what you long for is for September to come again so that they can go back to school. 
there are lots of things I'm sure that pop into your mind uh, when I ask that question, what do you long for this morning? But I want to ask you to, to go beyond the kind of superficial, the surface level. I want you to, to ask you to, to go down deeper and to think about the deepest longings of your heart. What do you really long for in life? Find the one, maybe, a husband or a wife. To have a family. To be in a job where you feel happy and fulfilled. To be financially stable again. To have a healthy mind, a healthy body, perhaps. It goes without saying, but there are, I'm sure, a multitude of longings, deep longings in this room. But I want to ask you another question. If you were to get that which your heart really longs for, would you be happy, content, satisfied in life? Like, I mean really happy. Not, not just kind of a, a feeling of, of satisfaction that's here one moment and gone the next, but a, a deep sense of, of satisfaction that's, that's true and lasting. C.S. Lewis, philosopher, theologian, author of Great Children's Stories, he talks about the longings we all have in life, and he says this, it's on the screen. Most people, if they really learn how to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they don't keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. There is always something that we grasp that in that first moment of longing that just fades away in the reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery may have been excellent. It has turned out to be a good job, but it has evaded us. There is something that all of us in this room, we all long for. Something that C.S. Lewis says that this world cannot offer us. But the question is, what is it? Well, we're continuing our series for the summer in the book of Psalms. Uh, and this morning we're looking at Psalm 84, probably one of my favorite Psalms. Um, it's great whenever you go into a series like this because you can just preach things that are your favorite uh, passages from Scripture. And um, in this passage, you probably notice that the psalmist, he, he longs for something like really longs for it. Look at the language he uses from the start. His soul longs, yes, faints for it. His heart and his flesh sing for it. Or another version says, his heart and his flesh cry out for it. And he longs for this thing so much that he's willing to give up all the prestige and honor of this world if only he could have that which he so wants. What does he long for the most? It's God himself. And why? Why does he long for God so much? Well, it's because the psalmist has tasted and seen that it's the Lord 
the living God who satisfies our deepest longings in life. And in this psalm, he shows us how that is the case. He, he pens this psalm to show us how God is the one who satisfies the deepest longings that we have. It's a wonderful psalm that stirs our hearts to delight in God. It trains our hearts to, to sing praise to God, to long to be near to him. And it teaches us to live in a way that the longings that we have can be satisfied in him, both now and forever in eternity. So we're going to approach this psalm this morning asking this question, how does God satisfy our deepest longings? And I think this psalm gives us three answers to that question. And, and the first answer is this, God satisfies our deepest longings in life by making his house our home. He makes his house our home. From the beginning, as we've said already, the psalmist is clear what he wants most in life. It's God. He isn't hiding how he feels, is he? He wants to be with God in the temple. He wants to see and to be satisfied by the beauty of God. Look at verses one and two. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is the language of love, isn't it? Of obsession, of longing, of someone who has been completely captivated. It's like the, the groom on his wedding day gushing over his new bride in his speech. And do you see how the psalmist praises God by praising the dwelling place of God, the temple in Jerusalem? As he writes this psalm, it's clear that he isn't in the temple right now, but he longs to be. He's been there before. He wants to be in God's house with God's people, praising him. And that theme it, it continues in verses three and four. Look at verses three and four. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. It's almost like he's sitting back in his chair as he writes this psalm. He's thinking of the temple. And there he just sees the little birds that are flying up to the eaves in the temple, to, to the nest that they've laid where, where they contend to their young. And he's envious of those birds because they get to be so close to God every day they are in his presence they even get to bring their young up close to God and it's the same thing for those who serve regularly in the temple that's what he's talking about in verse 4 there he's talking about the priests and the Levites those who carried out their daily duties in the temple in God's presence he's jealous of them too see our psalmist is convinced that the good life is life with God, in the presence of God, being satisfied by his glory and his goodness. I don't know if you've ever experienced homesickness. Um, and maybe you're someone who's been off traveling for a long period of time, or maybe you've gone uh, to a new place uh, for work or, or for university, um, and you're homesick. When you're there, you just have this deep longing within your heart to be home again. And why we feel this way, why we experience homesickness is because home is more than just a building, isn't it? Home 
It is the place that's familiar to us. It's the place where we feel safe and secure. It's the place where the story of our life centers on, where we have all our memories. And for the psalmist, it's almost like he's feeling homesick for the temple, for God's house. Because to him, the temple is more than just a building. It's home. Yes, it it may be beautiful. Yes, it might have lots of, of religious and historical significance for him and his people. But it's more than all that. To him, the temple is home because that is where God is. God himself has made his dwelling place there and the psalmist longs to be at home with the Lord. Now this psalm obviously picks up a massive theme that runs throughout all of the Bible, um, which is really about God's dwelling place. Um, And to help us understand a bit more of this psalm and the context of that, I want to do a bit of a whistle-stop tour um, on that theme of God's dwelling place because it starts right at the beginning of the Bible and it finishes right at the end. And in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, human beings. He created them to have fellowship with him, to be with him. In the Garden of Eden, God dwelt with his people. There was a perfect relationship there. He walked around with them. He talked with them. He was friends with Adam and Eve in the garden. But when Adam and Eve turned away from God, when they sinned in Genesis 3, God cast them away from his presence. He exiled them from the garden because God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so after the fall in Genesis 3, all of us, because we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, all of us no longer live with God. We all no longer experience his presence, that closeness of relationship with him. All of us are exiles. But when God redeemed Israel from Egypt in the book of Exodus, he instructed them to to build a, a temple or a tabernacle, which they could then move around in the wilderness with. And it's where God's presence would once again dwell with his people. And in this place, That was where they would make sacrifices to God for their sins. It was the place where God would meet with them and manifest his glory with them. It's where he could be with his people. If you think about it, it was almost like a a recapturing of the Garden of Eden, but in a limited and, and a really restricted kind of way. When Israel had settled in the land in the Old Testament and David had conquered Jerusalem, his son Solomon He built the temple, which is uh, almost like this immovable stone version of the tabernacle that that the, the children of Israel had. And this is where the psalmist is actually thinking about here. This is what he longs for, this temple of Solomon. But the story continues because God's people, they continued to sin, continued to turn away from him. And so the temple was one day destroyed. Just like Adam and Eve, God's people were cast out of his presence again, exiled from him. And though they would later return to the land, things were never going to be the same again. God had made incredible promises to his people about what the restoration of the nation of Israel would look like. But their actual experience of that didn't quite live up to those promises and what they thought because it was almost like they were in exile, but in the land that God had given to them. 
But the story didn't stop there. Because in the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel, what we've been studying for the last six months, when Jesus Christ came on the scene, when he was born, God became flesh and dwelt among us. That verse in John 1.14, it uses that language of dwelling. It's almost like John says, in Jesus, God tabernacled among his people. Jesus Christ is the dwelling place of God with man. Jesus, he even says of himself in John chapter 2, that I am the true temple. And he says that he's the true temple because he's the true sacrifice. He's the one who gives himself to take the punishment for sins that we deserve. See, Adam and Eve were cut off from God, exiled from him because they sinned against him. And Israel were cut off from God because they sinned against him. And we all deserve to be cut off from God too because we all have sinned against God. We've rebelled against him. We've turned our back on him. And what we deserve is for God to turn his back on us to turn his face away from us. We deserve his judgment. But in Jesus Christ, what we get is God's love, God's mercy. Because on the cross, God turned his face away from Jesus so that he could turn his face towards us. On the cross, Jesus Christ, he died for us. He experienced separation from God so that we could be brought back to God again, so that our relationship could be restored. And when Jesus Christ, when he rose to life again three days later, he ascended into the presence of God in heaven, in new life, assuring us, giving us confidence that for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus, new life is offered to them too, that we too can be brought back into God's presence forever. That's the good news of the gospel. And this morning, if you're someone who has never trusted in Jesus, maybe you've never heard what the good news of the gospel really is. Well, Well, this is what it is. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He came and he lived the perfect life that you could never live. He died the death that you deserve. And if you trust in him, he offers new life to you today. Life both now and life that lasts forever in eternity. If you turn him, if you ask him for forgiveness, for rejecting God, for sinning against God, then you can be offered life today. But even as good as that is, the story, it doesn't end there. Because now all those who trust in Jesus Christ, we become God's dwelling place. This is incredible. When we are united to Jesus, God's spirit comes and lives in us. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that amazing? See, in the new covenant, God doesn't just dwell with us. God dwells in us by his spirit. He comes to us and he makes our house, his home. But the story doesn't even stop there either. Because in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the last book of the Bible, the very culmination of God's redemptive plan for all of history, 
we get this incredible picture of what's in store for all of God's people when Jesus Christ finally returns and ushers in his kingdom in all of its glory. Listen to this, Revelation 21 verse 3. John says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is Jesus Christ, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And verse 22 and 23 says this. John looked and he said, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. That is what is coming for all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. If we live by faith in him, there will be a time in the future when God will surround his people with his glory. There will be a time in the future when we will not need to go anywhere to meet with God. We won't need to come to a place like this on Sunday morning to be with God's people, to meet and to be in God's presence, to praise him because God will be everywhere with his people. What a glorious thought that is. Now that was a a bit of a whistle-stop tour of the theme of of God's dwelling place in Scripture, but hopefully it helps us see that, that God satisfies our deepest longings by making his house our home. Even by making our house, us, his home. Why do we long for the things that we do? Why do we have these innate desires in all of us? Well, it's because the God who made us, he has set eternity in our hearts. And the reason we're always longing for things, the reason we we have this restlessness is because we're meant to find that something, that it in God. We're meant to find our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate purpose in life in him. The well-known quote from St. Augustine, it says this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We are restless because we've all lost the very thing that we were made for in life. Intimacy with God, relationship with him, being in his presence forever. That was how God intended things to be and our sin has broken that but Jesus Christ has made the way for that to be possible again. Through his death, through rising to life again and through Jesus, God offers to satisfy our deepest longings. How does God satisfy our deepest longings? He does it firstly by making his house our home and secondly he does it by strengthening us as we journey to him. We see this in verses five to nine. Let me read verse five to seven. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. These verses are talking about the time when the Jews would make the journey from wherever they lived to Jerusalem because they would have these these annual festivals. There were three big festivals that all of the Jews would, would up sticks 
And they would just come from far and wide to meet in Jerusalem, to celebrate. That was where they set the sat-nav for. And as they, as they went there, you can see what the, the psalmist is doing. He's almost painting this kind of metaphor in verse 5 of their hearts being like highways, like roads to Zion, to the city of God. Their hearts are set on the trip, on the destination that they, they are making that journey to him. And the psalmist says, as a result, they find their strength for the journey in God. In, in verse 6, the, the valley of Baca, or Baca, I always say Baca because when I say Baca, my balamina really comes out. Um, but that word Baca is, is a difficult one for the Hebrew scholars to translate because one meaning of it could be like dryness or thirst. So it's almost like thinking of a place that's like an arid desert kind of a valley. There's nothing there, no water anywhere. Uh, so you could describe it almost like thirsty valley. Or the second meaning of that word, bakak, it could also be weeping. So he could also be painting this picture of a valley where it's really difficult. There is weeping on the journey, tears shed through hardships and challenges. See, this is a, whatever, whatever the translation is, this is a difficult journey. It's a challenging one. It's a, it's a valley that is not an easy, carefree place. Do you see what happens as these pilgrims journey through the valley? They make it a place of springs. The early rain comes down and covers it with pools. And they're not the ones that are making it rain. God is. Because look what the psalmist says in verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. See, their strength is not in themselves. Their strength is in God. They are on their way to see him. They have set their hearts on him. And so the God who they have set their hearts on, he blesses them on the journey. He sustains them. He protects them. He gives them what they need. And in verses 8 and 9, we have this prayer for their king. Let me read it. It seems quite random, but there's a reason it's here. O Lord God of hosts, Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. See, the king of Israel was the one that God had anointed or, or chosen to protect the people. And yet their king, he needed protection from God too. If God showed favor to the king, then it was a good thing for the people because it meant that they would experience the blessing of God's protection too. And how much is, is this true, or how much more is this true for us through our King Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is our anointed King, the one God chose as our Messiah. He's the one on whom God has favor. The one God looks at and delights in. He says, this is my son who I am well pleased in. But you know, when God looks at us, he also looks at us as his beloved children through Jesus Christ. He says, I'm pleased in you too. My love is on you too. Like these people, the psalmist is describing here, this is a, for us as Christians, we are on a journey as well. A journey through life, a journey to see God, but it's not a journey that happens three times a year. This is a journey that is all encompassing. And like these people, there are times on this journey that will be difficult for us, challenging. 
times where we maybe feel that, that thirst, that dryness in our spiritual life. Times that we travel through the valley of Baca and we have that, that, the weeping and, and the sorrow that these people would have experienced. But even in those places, even in times like that, God is pouring out his grace on those who have set their heart on him. This is Psalm 84's version of weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 84 is saying that glorious things happen in the hands of a God who cares for his people, who has grace on his people. Because even in our trials, they forge that, that deep faith, that trust in him. Isn't that what the book of James is all about? We studied this last summer. At James chapter one, it says, count to all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials in the hands of a gracious and a loving God produce in us steadfastness, strength, because it teaches us to trust in God more, to depend on him more, to find our strength for the journey in him. So if you're struggling this morning through sickness, through challenges in your job, through financial pressures, through a relationship that's maybe strained and, and fractured at the moment, if you're grieving the loss of someone that you love, remember even in those times, even through those valleys, as difficult and as desperate as those times may be, God is still good. Even in those places, he promises to supply his grace to his people. He promises his blessing because his, his grace is sufficient to sustain us in our weakness. The whole of the Christian life is a journey and God promises that he will keep us until we reach the finish line. God satisfies our deepest longings by strengthening us as we journey to him. And thirdly and finally, God satisfies our deepest longings by giving himself and everything that's needed to those who trust in him. He gives himself and everything that's needed to those who put their trust in him. In verse 10, the psalmist, it almost sounds like what he sounded like at the start, doesn't he? He is going back to that theme of kind of the dwelling place of God being his home, where he longs for the beauty of it. Those famous words, you're maybe like almost getting into the way of singing that. You're singing it, humming it maybe in your head. We're going to sing it afterwards, I think. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. See what the psalmist is saying here? A day in the courts of God, a day in the temple, being in God's presence is better than a thousand days anywhere else in this world. Think about what he's saying here. It's better to have God and nothing else than have everything else in this world and not have God. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? That it's better to be uncomfortable in life with God than comfortable in life without him. 
It's better to be hurting in life with God than to be carefree in life without him. It's better to be living in poverty with God than to have all the riches in this world without him. It's better to have rejection from this world with God than all the acceptance and the acclaim of others in this world without him. Do we believe that as Christians this morning? Verse 11 gives us the reason why we can believe that. Look at verse 11. For the, God, for, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord God bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Amazing, these verses. God is a sun. That means he gives life and he, he gives health and he gives warmth in his presence. God is a shield. God protects us and he defends us better than anything else in this life ever could. No good thing does God withhold from those who trust in him, from those who walk in his ways. He bestows favor and honor. Those words, they mean grace and glory. He bestows grace and glory on those who walk in his ways. See, God is all that we need in life. He gives us everything that we need to sustain us here on earth now, but also forever in eternity. He gives us an inheritance for the future that nothing can take away. He gives us peace with him and power over sin. He gives us a new heart, hearts that, that long for him, hearts that, that are receptive to him and his word and, and desire to live in his ways. He gives us new mercies every single morning, grace to empower us in our weakness. He gives us blessings that last forever. And the greatest gift that he gives to us, the one thing that he does not withhold is himself. See, this psalmist, he's longing for God and God gives himself to his people. God himself is better than anything else that we could have in life. He's more satisfying than anything else in this world. And verse 12, it draws it all to a close. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Do you know the blessing of trusting in the Lord? Have you experienced the peace of being in right relationship with God? Do you know today the joy that there is of being close to God again, of your sins being forgiven, washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ so that you can be brought back into relationship with God again? There is joy in knowing that. Joy even in the valleys that we go through. See, it is what, what you're trusting in in life this morning, whatever it is, is what you're trusting in life, is it able to satisfy you like God can? Is it able to deliver on its promises like God can? Is what you're trusting in in life right now, is it able to protect you and to defend you the way God promises to Put your trust in him this morning. God promises that if you do, your life will never be the same again. It doesn't mean that your life's gonna be easy and carefree from here on out. 
doesn't mean that you're never going to go through hardships and struggles. No, but, but it does mean that when you go through those things, like all of us do, you will have a peace that surpasses understanding. You will have a joy that nothing can take away. You will have a hope, a hope for a glorious future. Blessed is the one who trusts in you, O Lord of hosts. And as I finish, there's one question that you've maybe been asking right from the start, from the the very first question I asked. It's maybe this, how can I, how can I, like the psalmist, make God my deepest longing? Maybe you long to long for God the way the psalmist does here. Maybe you long to be satisfied in him. Maybe you can think of times in your life if you're a Christian when you have really longed for God, like you were hungry for him. But that doesn't describe life for you right now. Maybe your desire this morning is to get back to that place again. Let me be honest with you. All of us, me me included, we all go through times in life, seasons of our life, where the longings that we have are maybe not centered on God. We're, We're kind of drawn towards other things rather than drawn to Him. That's normal for all of us, but but this psalm and other places in the Bible, it shows us that we can get back to that place again. Not through our own strength, not through anything that we do, but all through coming back to God again, through humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I can't conjure this up within me. I need you to do it by the work of your spirit. Knowing that in the new covenant, through Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, through his body that was broken and his blood that was shed for us at the cross, we have been given a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that is soft and receptive to God. And and in the new covenant, he, he puts his spirit within us to move us, to draw us back to him, to give us that longing to know him, to be satisfied by him. If you're a Christian this morning, you have a new heart. And I was reading this week the book of Ezekiel. And in the book of Ezekiel, it it talks about in Ezekiel 37, that really famous passage where Ezekiel is standing in a valley and it's full of dry bones and he looks out and God says to him, can these bones live, Ezekiel? And Ezekiel looks and, and he knows that in himself he can't make them live, but he knows that God can. And so God breathes his breath breathes life into these bones and they're rattled together and they raise up and there's sinews and there's flesh on them again. See, God can do in us what none of us can do ourselves. He raises us to new life through trusting in Jesus Christ. He can stir your heart this morning to long for God again. If only you would come back to him. Ask him to do a work in your heart and he will do it. As we come to the table this morning, maybe you're someone who is feeling that kind of heaviness. Maybe you're, you're feeling that, that desire to long for God, but you're, you're not quite there. Well, well, I've got some words on the screen. I'm going to leave them up. Doug, if you put them up now from Psalm 9, verse 10. And I want you to pray these words for yourself before you come up to the table. Look what it says. Those who 
know your name, put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. If you are seeking the Lord, if you draw near to him, he promises to draw near to you. As we come to the table, let's come to the table knowing that through Jesus Christ and his his body that's broken and his blood that's shed for us, God satisfies our deepest longings. He gives us everything that we need. He gives us himself. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to come to the table with joy, with gladness, with longing to to experience God's presence more fully in our hearts. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that despite our rejection of you, you love us. Despite us having turned away from you and sinned against you, you are forgiving, that you're merciful and you're gracious, that you do not withhold anything, no good thing from those who seek you and from those who trust in you and from those who walk in your ways. You give us yourself, your very self. We are so undeserving of it, Lord. The gospel is incredible news for all of us. It's incredible news for this world. Lord, if only we would know you and your heart for us more deeply, more fully. It would cause us, Lord, just to run to you, to run into your open arms, to to find refuge, to find strength, to find comfort, to find peace in you. Not in the things of this world, not in anyone else in life, because, Lord, you keep your promises. You are faithful. You are able to do what nothing else can do. Lord, Help us, help all of us to to come to you this morning again. Lord, if we are someone who maybe has strayed from you, would you just wrap your loving arms around us and bring us back to you again? If we're someone, Lord, who, who longs to long for you the way the psalmist does, Lord, I pray that you will do a work in our hearts this week. Stir up our affections for you again, Jesus. If we're someone who's never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, never understood the gospel and what's offered to each of us through faith in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would open their 